That's where we'll be this morning. Continuing on in our, in our study of uh, the, the wonderful gospel of Matthew, uh, we'll be in verses 21 through 28. But last week, we, we kind of looked at Peter's response to Jesus' very important question, who do you say that I am? And this, there isn't a more important question in the universe, in the galaxy, to, to be answered than this, this question. Because this question, the way we answer that, determines our eternity. Uh, who do you say that Jesus is? Peter, who didn't always get things right, nails this one, right? It's like he finally, he finally gets one right when he, when he correctly professes with confidence, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So you can kind of picture Peter getting A++++. You know, he finally aces the test. And Jesus confirms Peter's confession, which means they now know for certain that Jesus is their king. And this would have been extremely exciting for a people that have been waiting for, you know, expectantly for their Messiah for, for thousands of years. Now their promised king has come to rescue them and to establish their kingdom. So this is a this is phenomenal day. But they expected that the first order of business would be that Messiah would, would so to speak, make Israel great again, right? He's going he's gonna to save them from Roman occupation. He's going to come in and take care of their temporal, physical situation. That's what they expected. They didn't understand that Jesus' primary objective was actually to save them from a much bigger problem, their eternal spiritual situation. Nor did they understand the path that Jesus must take to become their Savior. And you can kind of picture the excitement, you know, over the, the prospect that, that the Messiah is here. He's finally come. This is so awesome, Jesus. I'm, I'm glad that we got this cleared up. You've identified yourself. We now know who you are. So what's next? When does the conquering begin, Jesus? You know, that's kind of the question. And it's easy for us to think the same way when we come, become Christians, when we come to Christ, is we, we begin to think, okay, now everything's going to just finally be perfect all the time, right? We're going to, you know, I've become a Christian now, so let the festivities, festivities begin. It's going to be just all blessings and, uh, you know, ease from this point out, right? And, and it's like, well, not exactly, right? And so in verse 21, even though the disciples expected this, you know, this, this question of what's next get answered. And it's definitely not what, the, what they were thinking, you need to kind of picture the scene of Jesus saying, okay, guys, I'm your long-awaited king. Here's the plan. You ready? Yes, Jesus, we can't wait to hear the plan. It's like, okay, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And they're like, okay, we're with you. That sounds good. That's a good start. We're tracking with you. Go on. And then I'm going to suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. And you can kind of picture them cocking their head sideways and going, okay, this doesn't sound quite like what we thought, but go on. And then he says, before they can interrupt, I must suffer and be killed and be raised on the third day. And they're going, what? This is the plan? I don't, I don't want to argue with the king, but this sounds like a terrible plan. And the, the funny thing is that I don't even think they heard the last part of the plan. It was the best part of the plan. I don't think they even noticed it. I will be raised on the third day. And they seem to just not even notice that he said that. We're, we're good at that kind of thing. But that literally changes everything. That's the best part. Um, so this information without that aspect would have been like a punch to the gut that would have just taken their breath away. You know, Jesus, we thought you were going to come here and make all of our problems go away. That's what we thought Messiah was going to do. But then it gets worse because before they have a chance to even catch their breath, Jesus is going to get him again with another truth blow because he's going to explain what his own path is going to look like. And he's done that. This is my path. But he's also going to tell them what their path is going to look like. And again, if they follow him, he's going to tell them what accompanies this, this profession that Peter's made. You know, if you make this confession about who I am, this is what goes along with that. 
So this is, the, this is the part that if we say Jesus is the Christ, he is Lord, he is the son of the living God, what, what happens next? What, is the, what does he want from us? What does he expect from us? What's it going to cost us? And this is the, one of the biggest dilemmas people face when, when they think about, you know, do I want God in my life? Do I want to accept Christ? Do I want to become a Christian? Um, because submitting to the lordship of God will affect things. It changes things, rightly so. So you have to ask the question, you know, that people do that. Will it benefit me in the here and now, or is it going to limit me? Is it worth it or not? And this is why so many people do their best to kind of keep God at arm's length. They, they choose to believe that he's, he's impersonal, he's far off. And there's actually a name for this. You, you probably heard of a theist, and you probably heard of an atheist. Well, there's also something called a deist, and that's what a deist believes. They, they believe in the existence of a creator based on reason, but they reject the belief of a God who interacts with humankind. So, so the idea is they kind of view God as like a watchmaker. He makes this really good watch, he winds it up, kind of sets it in motion, and then he just sets it off you know, and lets it, lets it kind of run its course. It plays out. He doesn't get too involved in his creation unless, you know, something crazy happens, and then maybe he'll step in. Um, otherwise, he just kind of stays in his lane, so to speak, okay? And, and we like that idea. We like a God who, who does this. So it's kind of like the idea of like, okay, God, you, you can keep track of the universe. You know, that's good. Make sure everything's running smoothly, uh, but there's no need for you to, to really get involved in, in my business unless something catastrophic happens, and then I want you to be available for, to take my call, um, you know, just to solve my problem if that comes up. Oh, and if it's not too much trouble, I want you to save me from hell. Um, but, you know, that's it. That's as far as it goes. You know, don't call me, I'll call you. That's what a deist believes. Now, why would somebody want to believe that? What's the advantage to, to that kind of thing? Well, it means you don't have to answer to anybody. That's kind of nice. It means that you don't have, you know, God meddling in your life, right? He won't expect anything from you. That, that sounds pretty good. Um, and, and, you know, you have a little bit of comfort, in case something does go wrong, you know, if I have to, I can call on them if I have to, but otherwise it's not a big deal. And this is kind of, this is the, what describes most people, what they want from God. They, they want a God who's far off. The minute that changes though, the minute he becomes up close and personal, now we get uncomfortable with the idea. And I'll show you what I mean. Like th- this is the idea of if you can imagine a world leader that you admire, <laughs> that might be a tall order. <laughs> You're like going, uh, I got nothing. Well, pretend, make one up in your mind if you can't think of one. But imagine a world leader that you really admire. You know, you know about them. You respect what they do. You, you know that they're playing an important role in the world. They're on the news and the TV, but, but there isn't any chance they would ever know you or want anything from you. So you're glad they exist and you hope they continue to, to you know, to to make good decisions and steer the world in the right direction and all that kind of stuff. But that's kind of the end of your concern. But then what if one day your phone rings and you pick it up and say hello and it's there on the other end of the phone? Well, that, that's different now. That means they, they know your phone number. <laughs> they know your name. They, they know things about you and they want something from you. That's why they're calling. That, that kind of, that changes things. And this is what our God is like. God has made contact, right? He's called you up. He, he's, 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 he's pursued you. This is what he did by sending Jesus into the world. It means he got up close and personal with his creation. He knows us. He relates to us. And, and, and even to the point where he died for us. Now that means he's a God who wants something from you. Mostly you, right? So our passage ends with this kind of chilling uh, verse in verse 27 that says this, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. That means he's keeping track. That means what you do matters. And nothing matters more than what you do with Jesus. 
That's the most important decision you have to make. If God has gone to great lengths to pursue a relationship with you by sending his son to this earth to become your savior and you ignore that because you have more important things going on, um, you're going to regret it for all eternity. So that kind of sets the stage for our, our passage this morning. Uh, Matthew 16, 21 says this. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned to him, turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not set in your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, the last verse 28, I'm going to give you a disclaimer right now. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a selfish guy, so I'm going to save that one for Pastor Chad uh, because uh, th- the next section, I think, is the answer to this question. So I'm not chickening out completely, um, but he gets to tackle that one. So fair enough. Verse 21 starts out with Jesus saying things to the disciples that make absolutely no sense to them. And if we're honest with ourselves, uh, we've all run into this problem when we're reading God's Word. Uh, there's times when we read something and think, what, what's going on here? Uh, you, you come up with a theological conundrum. You don't understand what, what God is saying or what He's doing. And so it causes us to question God or, or, or wonder what in the world's going on. And that's what these guys are doing. This is an unwanted revelation from Jesus. It causes Peter to jump into action like Peter is prone to do uh, and actually rebuke Jesus. It's cool that he pulled him aside. I mean, that was like, he's getting better maybe a little bit, but... Uh, but can you imagine doing that? But, but we kind of do sometimes, you know. We, do you ever have the urge to correct God or, or maybe give him some friendly advice on how he should handle a situation in your life that's come up? Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. That's an interesting thing for Peter to say. And this kind of thinking is still alive and well today. This idea that suffering and hardship should be far from us and never invade our space is a prominent way of thinking. You know, our, our way of thinking is like, if, if God's involved, how can anything bad happen? Um, and, and this means we assume that what God is doing here, or what Jesus is doing, is bad. Like, that, that's Peter's assumption. But what if we're wrong? What if it's not bad at all? What if it's the best thing that could happen? See, and this is what's at the heart of, of, of a very wicked gospel. I call it gospel in quotes with a lower G, but this prosperity gospel that's out there. Um, you, you may think that you haven't bought into this, but, um, the, oh, <laughs> I'm sorry, if like, I hear somebody else. <laughs> you may think you haven't bought into the prosperity gospel, but it's interesting, when you, think, when you hear the way we pray, we pray like Peter does, we pray in, a, in this prosperity sense of like, if something bad comes into our life, or hardship comes, suffering comes, we immediately pray, God, make it go away. Far be it from me that I should have to deal with this thing. Lord, take it away right away. We don't think, does God have a purpose in it? Is he trying to do something in this? Is he wanted here for a reason? We, we can't imagine how God would want to use hard things in our lives for his glory and for our good, but that's exactly what he does all the time. 
So if there was a shred of truth to this dangerous thinking from Peter and the prosperity gospel, would Jesus' of life, Jesus's life looked a little different? <laughs> of course it would. It would have looked great. There would be no cross, right? Other guys' lives would have looked different too. John the Baptist, you know, he would have been on like Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous maybe or something like that. Paul, man, he would have had like some really nice suits and a private jet. This is the kind of stuff that we think this way. What were their lives like? Not like that. You know, and these were the people that were pursuing God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And their lives looked like pretty bleak at times. You know, Martin Luther kind of described it, it this way. He, he, it's, the way he thought about it I thought was helpful. He said there's a theology of glory and there's a theology of the cross. And guess, what, guess which one we like? We like the theology of glory. The idea is like, how can I climb the ladder to glory right here and now and avoid all this other stuff? That's what we want. Right? Well, that's not, that's not the way it works. Fortunately, Jesus did not take Peter's advice. He knew what his mission was. He knew what he was going to accomplish by fulfilling what the Father wanted him to do. And, and this is what causes him to speak so strongly to Peter. It's kind of funny. You know, Peter just aced the test, like A+. Plus, you know, he got it right. And then a second later, he's like calling him Satan. <laughs> it's just funny. I love Peter. It kind of makes you wonder what the Catholic Church does with this too because it's like if he's the head of the Catholic Church and I just said I'm going to build my rock on you and then, then he calls him Satan. It means he's not infallible at least. I'll say that. Sorry. I'm a farmer recovering Catholic, so when I get my shots, you know, I got, I got to take them. <laughs> But, but, but Jesus looks at him and he says, get behind me, Satan. You're, you're speaking like the devil would speak to me. In fact, the devil did speak to him this way when he was tempted in the wilderness. He did the same kinds of things, right? You're a hindrance to me. And this had to sting a bit for Peter to hear that because I don't think he, you know, he wanted to be that guy, but that's what he was doing. What is Jesus so upset about here? He's upset because the cross was the Father's will for him. This is why he came. These things must happen right? They're necessary. He must suffer. He must die. He must rise again. You know who wants to keep Jesus from doing that? The devil does, right? Anyone trying to do away with the necessity of the cross is a hindrance to God and to salvation. And anyone preaching a gospel that is not Christ alone, through grace alone, in faith alone, is also a hindrance to God and salvation. That's a different gospel, so they're, they're a puppet in Satan's hand, and he's the ventriloquist. And that's what Peter found himself doing right then without trying to. Why was the cross necessary? Why, why is it necessary for Jesus to suffer the way he did? And the answer is because there was no other way. <laughs> there was no other way. That's the only way that we get saved, right? It's the only way for us to be forgiven and be reconciled to God. And Jesus makes this very clear when he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one can come to the Father but through me. There is no other possibility. And if there was, beloved, why did our Savior go and go through what he went through at the cross? If there was a way for me to get saved apart from that, why did he die? Why did he suffer? Why would he do that? There was no other way. He died in vain if that's, if that's the, the point, but he didn't. And this is why I hate works-based forms of salvation so much. The idea of, you know, sure they include Jesus, but it's always Jesus plus right? Jesus plus what you do. Jesus plus what you believe. Jesus plus how, you know, th- th- it's, it's, those are blasphemous to me. If, if we could work our way to heaven, Jesus didn't need to come. If we were able to pay the debt to God that we owed, he didn't need to. But, but there's no way we could ever pay that debt, you know? It, it was way too much. The only way for God to be just, justly satisfied and to, and to be able to forgive us 
was if somebody paid that debt for us. And that's what Jesus did at the cross at a great cost to him and completely free to us. So he suffered and died in our place so that we could be forgiven when we trust in him alone. Now, obviously, Peter didn't understand that yet. Um, There's going to come a point, because you can read Peter's epistles later, where he fully gets it. But right now, he didn't get it. Um, He'll get it after the resurrection. But as Christians, we can often look at the circumstances in our lives and in the world and come to conclusions that are polar opposite of what God wants us to believe. It's very easy to do. How is it possible? Well, Jesus gives Peter and us the answer in verse 23, and it still applies today. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Okay? If we set our mind on the things of God, things are going to look correct. If we set our minds on the things of man, things are going to get out of hand. You know, we tend to kind of look at things through our limited perspective. We have a man's eye view, and usually it's just what's right here in front of us. That's all we can see. And we need to learn to have a God's eye view of things. Step back and look at things from his perspective. Uh, consider the big picture. And this is the key, setting our mind on the things of God, the key to being able to navigate our topsy-turvy world. Even like what you were saying in your praise today, you know, it's like, thank God that he's given us his word so that we can make sense of things. Uh, setting our mind on the things of God is the key to understanding what God is doing in our lives from day to day and in the world. It's the key to understanding his plan for redemption. God's way of doing things is actually completely upside down and backwards from what we would come up with. And this is hard for us to to get, right? I mean, it doesn't make sense to us. He says things like, the first shall be last. Well, that's not how the world works. Well, that's how God's world works. He says the meek, they're the ones that are going to inherit the earth. Well, that doesn't make sense. That's backwards. That's upside down. He says the greatest among you is going to be the servant of all. Well, no, they're not. That's the, the servant. Is, they're the least of us. That's, this, we think completely opposite of God's economy. And then he says this in the passage we're in today. Dying will bring you life. <laughs> what? Dying will bring you life. See? So, so for us to set our minds on the things of God means something big has to happen. We're going to have to reorient our way of thinking. We're going to have to reprogram the way our brain works because it's, it's set on the things of man. This is what Romans 12, 2 says. Do not be conformed to this world, man's way of thinking, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is how we find out the the mind of God is by by getting this done. Well, how do we do this since we have a tendency to set our our mind on the things of man? That's our default. How do we do this? You know, because there's there's a verse that pops into my mind. There's a way that seems right to a man, but but where does it lead? death. I don't want to be on that path. I want to get off that path. I want to be on the path that leads to life, the one that leads to pleasing my Lord, the one that ends with me hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want to be on that path. How do we get there? By setting our mind on the things of God. This is how we'll learn to be able to tell the difference. Three things. One, we need to always consider the source. So whatever we're hearing, consider the source. Two, we need to evaluate the intel. We got good intel here, we got bad intel. And three, we need to inspect the resulting fruit. These are three things we've got to do. First one is consider the source. Now, I like that Peter didn't have to really think this one through too much because Jesus was speaking. So he, had, he, he, could, he knew the source, right? God's speaking. That's helpful. Um, are we going to hear the, the voice of Jesus audibly speak to us today? I don't think we do. <laughs> All right? Some people claim they do. I don't, I don't think we do. So, so what are we going to do? Well, Jesus is called the Logos in the Bible, which means the Word of God. 
And when I think of the Word of God, I, I think of this wonderful thing that He's given us. And so God is still speaking to us today. This is reliable. This is authoritative. If you want, you know, people say, oh, I just wish God would speak to me today. <laughs> it's like, there, this is it, guys. This is how He's done it. He has, He will. This is trustworthy. You're going to hear people say, I'm speaking, you know, hey, uh, you know, God told me this, or I've got a word from the Lord. Be careful. That's all I'm going to say. I get my, immediately the hairs on the back of my neck stand up when I hear that kind of stuff because people are unreliable. People are not authoritative. People might get it right. They might get it wrong. So just proceed with caution. This doesn't get it wrong. People will. So when you hear something like that, maybe treat it like advice at best, okay? But that, that's a source that we need to be careful of. The other source we need to be completely careful of is the stuff that's coming out of the world, you know? I mean, you just turn on the TV, listen to the news, look at the comment section and any, you know, feed that you're on, and you're going to get a lot of information coming your way. And uh, you've got you to consider the source. Are these people that love God and that love His Word? Or are they people that love themselves and, you know, love the world? Again, we need to, this is what it says in Colossians 2. See to it that no one takes you captive. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. They, somebody's going to take you captive. They're going to lock you up. They're going to they're put chains on you. They're going to take you captive with this stuff. By philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So there are people right now that are actively seeking to do this. Um, that, that, you know, and, and here's the problem. We, we, we kind of tend to like the unreliable sources maybe sometimes better than the reliable source. We, we like to hear what man has to say sometimes more than we like to hear what God has to say. Um, it has a greater appeal because it aligns with our own self-interests very often. And this is why we need to continually evaluate the intel, right? When we're hearing it, we've got to listen. So John, 1 John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. This means there are people in the world that are actively trying to deceive us. It means we need to be a little skeptical sometimes. I wish Christians, I'm a skeptical guy, so I don't need to get more skeptical, but you people might need to get a little more skeptical sometimes. You, you, we believe everything we hear sometimes without really doing the research. I can't tell you how many times I've seen somebody repost something or, or, or parrot something, and I've done it too, that you've heard because you think it's true, and then you find out later it's not. Dig in a little. Do, you know, check the intel. Find out what's going on here. Um, don't buy hook, line, and sinker into everything that, that, that comes down the pike because it's, it's going to be, you know, know that there are false prophets that are trying to deceive. People are going to continually try to convince us that God's word is wrong and they're going to try to get you to doubt what it says. This has been going on since the garden and it's going on today, all right? It won't stop. And unfortunately, it works because like I said, there's something appealing about it. Uh, we love to find loopholes that make us or our sin okay. Have you, have you noticed that? If I can find a loophole that makes me feel good about the bad things I want to do, that's pretty nice. You know, I like that. So yeah, keep, keep telling me these things. Keep tickling my ears with these things you're saying because then I don't feel bad about my sin. And then there are also times when God's word rubs us the wrong way. We hear what it says and we're like, oh, I don't like, I don't like the way that, that makes me feel. That doesn't go down as easy as I'd like. So, so then we, we think, well, let's just go with the alternative. You know, what they're saying sounds pretty good. And we see this happening all the time right now among Christians. And it's, it's really disheartening. So let me give you an example. I saw a Facebook quote this week posted by, I don't know this person really well. They're not in this room, so don't worry. Everybody's, everybody gets all tense for a second. Oh, no. Um, I know that there was a time when they went to a church that I was familiar with, and I think they probably still call themselves a Christian, but I don't know. 
The quote was by somebody named A.R. Lucas. have no idea who that is. But this is what it said. If there's ever a slight chance at getting something that will make you happy, risk it. Life's too short and happiness is too rare. Well, that sounds pretty motivational and inspirational, doesn't it? All right? And here's another one if, if, you, if you didn't like that one. This is Aristotle. We know who that is. Happiness is the meaning and the purpose of life, the whole aim and end of human existence. Wow, happiness, that's the goal. Okay, how about one more? I don't know who wrote this one. My only goal in life right now is to be happy, genuinely, intensely, and consistently happy regardless of what that looks like to others. Now you can hear that and think, yeah, that's good. I like that. I like the way that makes me feel. That puts me and my self-interest and my what I want. I like that. That's good. Now, I'm not trying to be judgmental, but I see a lot of Christians following this advice that are given in these quotes, just eating it up. They're making decisions about their life, um, about their church, about whatever they're doing based on this stuff. They make their own happiness or pleasing themselves the ultimate goal. What's the problem here? You know, what's the elephant in the room, so to speak? Well, let's compare it with the words of Jesus from our passage today, shall we? (laughs) If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That sounds different, doesn't it? And you're going, well, thank you, sir. May I have another? Absolutely. Here's another one. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And here's one more just thrown in free of charge from Jesus. It is better to give than to receive. Right? Do you see the difference? Yes, we see the difference, but which one is more appealing to us? (laughs) This is the problem, right? Which one's more appealing? Deny yourself, take up your cross, lose your life, or pursue what makes you happy at all costs? This is why we need to pay attention to the fruit that results from the wisdom we choose to follow, right? Because a self-promoting person who always puts their interests first ends up with a pretty miserable and lonely existence. That's the end of that road. That's what it's like right? And their eternity is far worse. Just being honest, it's just far worse. So it it may sound like a path to happiness, but it's just not. And actually, James 3 talks about the kind of wisdom that leads to put self before everything and everyone else. And he says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. And right now you go into any city where, where self is king and they're ignoring everybody and everything else. And what do you see? Disorder and every vile practice. That's where it amounts to because you're not thinking of anybody else but yourself and what you want. And that's the end of that path. It results in a greedy narcissist. That It's just ugly. What about the things Jesus says? What, what, what does that fruit look like? I'll, I'll admit, the stuff that, that he says doesn't sound very appealing, but does it work? What is the result? That's what we need to ask ourselves. And again, this is where we need to inspect the resulting fruit. Because this is what's going to happen. In a very short time, the disciples are going to watch Jesus carry a cross up to Calvary, where he's going to be crucified and he's going to die. He's literally going to do the very things he's asking us to do, Right? which I love about him. He never asks us to do stuff that he didn't do himself or wasn't willing to do. So, but from man's perspective, this mission that Jesus went on looks like, I mean, a complete, futile, fruitless failure. That, it looks like a failed mission, doesn't it? Was it? No. I would argue it was the most successful mission ever, right? 
Jesus found a way to beat the things that plague us the most. Sin and death. Conquered them completely through the cross. But there's even more. He reversed the curse. The fall of man. He, he reversed the curse so that we could actually be forgiven and reconciled to our God. So looks can be deceiving. What looks like a, a mission bound for failure was actually a complete success. That was the fruit of it. Of course, the disciples didn't know that when they heard Jesus tell them, you know, if, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. But, you know, it would have sound counterintuitive. It would have sound crazy. And it might still sound a little crazy to you. Like I said, it sounds upside down and backwards. But, but what is Jesus really saying here? Like, you know, does this mean we have to physically die? Maybe. But, but it's, sometimes it's even harder than that. Because most of us, if, if I said, hey, would you, would you take a bullet for your faith right now? You know, would you deny Jesus? Or you'd say, no, I'll do that. But, but laying down your life every day, <laughs> putting yourself aside for him, sometimes that's actually harder, right? This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying the path to life, to real life, meaningful, joyous, abundant life that we all want comes through dying to ourselves so that Christ can live through us, right? Paul puts it this way, better than I am. Galatians 2.20. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what's the key to life? Give yours away. Give it to Christ. Let him have it. Let him him do what he wants with, with you and your life, right? John the Baptist said it this way, I must decrease, he must increase. That's, that's, what, it's, that's what this is. You know, Jesus' path to providing us life was through the cross, and our path to finding life comes through taking up the cross. It, it's the same. He's modeled it for us. He's like, you know, follow the leader. Do what he did. And, and the amazing thing is that it works. I've seen this work on both a small scale, and I've seen it work on a large scale. Small scale stuff. This is where, you guys have all done this, where you're, you're at home and you're, it's like almost time for church and you're thinking, oh, I don't want to go to church. I just want to stay home. It's warm and there's a football game on and, you know, whatever. I want to make an omelet. I don't want to go. And then you go. You're like, you know what? I'm going to deny myself. I'm gonna, you might not think in these terms, but I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to take on my cross. I'm going to go. And I can't think of one time when I've done this and thought, no, that was a waste of time. I go and I'm like, I can't believe I, did. I almost missed this. I can't believe I almost missed this because it was so good. Right? And, and I see this over and over again. And this happens whether it's you know, church or a Bible study or a home group, going up and talking to somebody about Jesus when you're scared to death and you don't want to. There's never been a time when I've regretted that and thought, well, I mean, sometimes it doesn't go well, but I still feel like I, I, I obeyed my Lord. Right? How about when you go to visit a widow that nobody else wants to pay any attention to? It's the last thing you want to do. But you go out of obedience to God and you see him use you, you know? I mean, your, your testimony of that is like, man, that's amazing. Small-scale stuff, but I can think of him saying, you know, he was trying to find every way to get out of that. Lord, send somebody else. Like, you know, he's like, don't send me. Just please send somebody else. But he went, and he did what he was asked to do, and God uses it. And this could be showing kindness to somebody. It should be giving sacrificially. It should be serving. All of these things are small-scale things. And I can tell you, when I do these things, I feel more alive and I feel more excited. I feel more purpose than any other time. Somebody one time um, said to me here about, yeah, I was preaching one day, and they were like, man, I just wish I had what you have. I wish, you, I wish I had this excitement and this passion and this joy that you have. And I wanted to, you know, I didn't want to burst their bubble, but it's like, well, I'm not that way all the time. <laughs> I, you know, like I'm just walking around. I wish I was. But it's because I'm up here doing this. Right? This is why I'm an introvert. I'm scared to death of public speaking. I don't want to do this. But when I do this, and, I, and I'm used by God, I mean, I, it's like, 
It doesn't get any better than this, even though it's terrifying. Um, you know, COVID, when COVID happened, it gave us an excuse to, to be selfish and to be this way. And uh, I was... Uh, I was like built for this, a time such as this, you know, it's like quarantine. It's like, I, I can do this and feel good about this. It's like, sign me up. And I thought, this is great. I don't even have to feel bad about not going places or doing things or talking to people. I'm like, just, yeah, I, I, this is perfect. And this is what I found very quickly. It was the worst thing in the world for me. I sat alone in my head with my thoughts, self-focused, and I quickly got completely depressed. And that what, what solved it was getting back among God's people, serving him and doing the things that he's asked me to do. And, and it made all the difference. Um, God has made us to where we find purpose and joy in coming after him. That's how he's made us. We, we won't find it apart from that. That's when I feel most alive. And then that's small scale. What about big scale stuff? You know, this is the stuff we, we most of us don't even think about dipping our toe in this water, do we? Like, what about giving your full life towards ministry? What about becoming a missionary, leaving everything you have here and going, you know, to serve the Lord? What about becoming a martyr? What about suffering and dying for what you believe? Uh, this is big scale stuff, but if, but if doing it on a small scale makes me feel a little bit alive, I can't imagine what, what happens if you do it on the big, scale, the big scale. And based on what I've experienced and witnessed and read even, the more we deny ourselves and give our lives to Jesus, the closer to God we feel and the more joy and life we experience. This isn't a coincidence. This is putting Jesus' words to the test and seeing that it works. You know, I think all of us want to experience God on a deeper level. You know, there's times when we just think, is this all there is? Is this it? And, and I, and I uh, this is why so many churches go to the you know, these great lengths to try to drum up these emotional experiences for us. So they've got glitter falling and feathers going and, you know, fog machines and light shows and lasers because they're trying to get you to feel something. And I get that, but maybe it's much more simple than that. <laughs> maybe we're overthinking it. Uh, we interviewed this wonderful uh, missionary grandma on our podcast one week, and uh, I asked her a question based on this hunch that I've had about this idea that we try to, in, in an attempt to experience God, we, we try to drum up this emotional excitement. And I just asked her, it's like, when you, went, when you gave up everything, she was in her 60s, gave up everything, went, left her grandkids or, you know, her kids' grandkids went across into Africa to become a missionary. A grandma did this. And I, and I asked her, do, do you experience God in a different way, in a more full way now than you ever did before? And this is what she said. I wrote it down. I would never trade what I do or the decision that I made because I get to experience God every day in a way that I never did before. Man, I mean, that's, she relies on him every day. She's with, you know, she's on mission every day. You know, Jim Elliott, a famous missionary said, he is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And I think about that. It's like, what does that mean? And no doubt he was called a fool because he wanted to go to Ecuador and reach a tribe that was murderous and violent, and he died doing it. But that tribe came to the Lord eventually, which is amazing. That's a whole other story. But what is it that we cannot keep? You know, what, what would you give in exchange for your soul? That's what Jesus is asking. None of this stuff matters. We don't get to take it with us. What is it that we can't lose? Him and an eternity with him. That's what matters. You know, Matthew 6 says, don't lay up for yourself treasures here on earth where, where moths are going to come in and mess it up and thieves and rust and all this stuff's going to mess it up. Lay for yourself treasures in heaven. That's what matters. 
And then he says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So that, there's a key to, to, to kind of look at. There's two missionaries we support called, uh, their names are Paul and Susan Brown. And they just uh, inspire me. Paul pastored in a church in, in uh, Oklahoma for 40 years. 40 years as a pastor. And uh, retired. And he had every reason in the world, every justifiable reason to say, you know what, I'm hanging up my spurs. I'm going to go sit on a, a porch someplace in a, in a rocking chair with some lemonade and just live up my days. And, he, and it would have been just fine for him to do that. And instead, these crazy people took up their cross, denied themselves, and went to Thailand. Him and his wife. He's in his 70s right now. Um, they have, they're training pastors over there, and they've adopted and now raising as their own, I think, 12 different kids that, that were unwanted over there. <laughs> they're going to probably die in that country. They're probably not coming back. They left so much. Their kids, their house, their grandkids, they're missing out on so much, humanly speaking. You think they regret it? Not for a minute. I think they've gained far more than they've given up. And, and I want to be that way. You know, do you want to experience God? He's given you the directions. <laughs> It's, it, it doesn't make sense, but deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. And the fruits of these directions are evident. We get to be closer to God. We get to experience him more. We get to glorify him with our lives. We get to serve and love others. We get to make Jesus known because this is a testimony. When somebody does something like this, it don't make sense. It, it, it tells people, people are going to be like, you're doing What? You're dying to yourself. You're not making the most of this life. You're not grabbing all you can get. No, I'm giving my life away to Christ because he loves me. I mean, that's a testimony, is it not? That makes the, the claims of Christ even more, more profound. And then, you know, the last one, we, we make our life count. That's actually not the last one. Sorry, there's one more. But we make our life count. And this ties into the last one. There's this incentive we see in our text. And I'll admit, when I first read verse 27, I'm a negative guy in general, so I see the glass is half empty. And when I read this, I'm first terrified. So it says, when the Son of Man comes with his angels in the glory of his Father, then he will repay each person according to what he's done. And because of the way I think and the way I am, I'm like, uh-oh, that's my first thought. But, but wait a sec. This, this can be a terrifying verse to, to one person and, and actually a verse of great comfort to another, depending on how you read it. I can imagine Paul and Susan Brown reading this and going, Jesus is saying, hey, you guys, what you're doing, I see it. It matters to me. And I'm not going to forget it, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it worth your while. When you get into my kingdom, I'm going to make it worth your while. I'm going to repay you for giving your life away to me. That's what I see here now when I read it. So it's both, right? If, if you're, you know, using your life for you, doesn't mean you're not going to go to heaven. Praise God. That's not how we get to heaven by, by our works. It's Christ's works. But my goodness, when I get there, what am I going to say to him with what he's given me? You know? He's given us so much, and we get to just pour it all out for his glory. I'll admit I fully don't understand the, the idea of rewards in heaven um, and loss in heaven. It's definitely taught in the Bible. I don't get it, but it makes sense that those who are repaid for their selflessness are real, and those who have loss and regret because of their selfishness will be a thing. And we have a chance to do something about it right here now. This isn't a guilt trip, guys. Um, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe, right? We're, we're, we, we can be fully saved, but 
you get to do these things. You get to walk in, in a way that, you know, you'll never regret for all eternity. Jesus has laid out the path for you to follow, and he's invited you to come after him. Father, thank you so much for this uh, amazing uh, just testament of, of, of Jesus and his disciples that we get to read today and hopefully be inspired by. Lord, we, we want our life to count. Uh, we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And so we pray that we would take these words to heart and we would really think about what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Lord, we, we don't want that. We want, we want to just uh, live our lives in a way that honor you and please you and glorify you. And so, Father, give us opportunity. Show us what that looks like. Help us to come after you with all we have, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following you. And we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.